the Science Inside podcast. This is the Science Inside. Good evening. This is the Science Inside, and I am your host, Bridget Lepere. And every week, as you can imagine, we bring you the latest news and events around science. So we keep you updated on what's happening around your area and internationally. So, as we are trying to update you on these events, the Council for Science and Industrial Research, which is the CSIR, has in the recent weeks held a showcase of the future roadmap of what human settlements could look like in the future. The Department of Science and Technology together with the CSIR, are developing a roadmap on how to adopt science and tech-driven innovation for South Africa's future housing and neighborhoods. And this strategic framework recognizes, recognizes the demand and the need for alternative and innovative technologies being built into the environment to help achieve citizens' rights to adequate housing and improved quality of life. And as part of uh, the definition process for the roadmap project, the CSIR recently hosted this off-the-wall human settlements showcase where it featured a two-day open-air fair event environment at which technologies were demonstrated and discussed in length with human settlement stakeholders from various public and private sectors. And the University of the Witwatersrand also had a seminar seminar of their own looking at how the future of housing uh, can be planned for from uh, an architectural uh, perspective. But there's more on this um, later on in the show and we look in depth uh, at all of this and on facebook we are the science inside and our whatsapp line is 084-078-4912 you can also tweet us at vowfm uh, hashtag science inside and next up as we do as always we have um masibulele lunika who will take us through the news that have been taking place in the science world good evening masibulele good evening bridget and our news making headlines china gene editing experiment points to new stroke treatment and new research questions ethics of eliminating entire species of disease-causing pests and popular essay contraceptive could weaken your immune system. Good evening, I'm Masubule Lunika with the Science Insight News. Last year's contentious gene-edited twins experiment may hold other benefits for brain injury, according to a new study. A widely criticized experiment last year saw a researcher in China delete a gene in, a, in twin girls in twin girls rather at the embryonic stage in an attempt to protect them against HIV. A new study by researchers at the University of California, Los Angeles, David Goffin School of Medicine suggests that using a drug to delete the same gene in people with stroke or traumatic brain injuries could help improve their recovery. The study studies human validation component rather the The team examined 68 individuals without CCR5 genes along with 446 controls. Those who suffered from strokes and also had the natural gene deletion recovered movement abilities faster and had fewer cognitive deficits moments, uh, months rather after the the stroke had um, after the stroke um, than did patients who had the uh, uh, 
the CCR5 gene. This approach uses a drug that deletes the gene rather than an actual removal at an embryonic stage. The combined results suggest that, that the drug might boost recovery in humans after a stroke or traumatic brain injury, says S. Thomas Car. Kamaikel, uh, the study's senior researcher and neurologist. His team has started a follow-up human study to test the drug's efficiency, sorry, the efficacy. In healthy people, the CCR5 gene is thought to promote learning and memory by acting as a stop signal, telling neurons to receive only one memory and hold it, rather than continuing to receive and retain every signal that comes in. Carmichael says immediately after a stroke or brain injury, the gene helps to tempt uh, to tamp rather down the excitability of neurons, helping to limit damage, he says. But if the gene keeps pumping out uh, stop signals, it also interferes with the brain's ability to build new connections and repair, repair damage, he adds. Carmichael's approach is to turn off these signals by starting people on the drug about five to seven days after a stroke and continuing for about three months, allowing the brain, to, the, the brain a better chance to recover. Excuse me. The work shows the benefits of turning off the gene in stroke-induced mice by using the drug already approved as an HIV treatment. It also focuses on a sample of people who, who are naturally born without the gene. People without the gene recover faster and more completely from stroke than the general population does, the researchers found. In late 2018, gene he Jiankui, rather, then at the Southern University of Science and Technology in China, said he had edited the CCR5 genes of twin girls at an embryonic stage in an effort to protect them against HIV infection. The first of its kind uh, outcome was apparently healthy twin girls born without CCR5, he said. Wildlife species harmful to humans are often targets of control and elimination programs. A new study questions the ethics behind the idea of killing off entire species. The study, titled The Ethics of Eliminating Harmful Species, the case of the tsetse fly, looks at the contemporary case of the tsetse fly, a vector of sleeping sickness and African animal uh, trypanosomosis. The study was worked on by four scientists, including Neil H. Carter, Human Environment Systems at uh, Boise State University in Boise, Idaho, and Chelsea Botavia, Department of uh, Forest, Forest Ecos Ecosystems and so Society at Oregon University, State University rather, in, in uh, Covalis. Uh, Michael Paul Nelson at the Department of Forest Ecosystems and Society at Oregon State University. Um, the university in, uh, and Jeremy, rather, Jeremy Boyer at the International Atomic Energy Agency. Uh, Tetsa flies have recently been targeted by a, a pan-African eradication campaign. Um, if it is successful, the campaign could push the entire Tetsa fly family to extinction. 
With the emergence of effective and efficient elimination technologies, the research suggests that ethical assessment of proposed elimination campaigns is urgently needed. Sleep, sleeping sickness or, or tie Trypanosomiasis, um, uh, endemic in sub-Saharan Africa, is a horrible, horribly debilit- debilitating disease. When the parasitic protozoan that uh, causes it gets into the nervous system and brain, uh, weeks or months after being transmitted by the blood-eating tetrafly, it sends the victim into a st- Deep uh, decline marked by depression, aggressiveness, uh, psychotic behavior, disrupted sleep patterns, and if untreated, death. Happily, a concerted mutilational, uh, multinational rather, uh, effort has reduced the reported incidence of disease by 92% in this century, from 26,550 cases in 2000 to just 2,164 cases in 2016. Uh, that puts the fight against sleeping sickness on track to meet the World Health Organization's goal of eliminating it by 2020, according to a study published in December in PLOS Neglected Tropical Diseases. Thanks to increasingly sophisticated methods of, of reducing the population of tsetse flies, the area where people are at risk of infection has also dis- decreased by 61% in the same period. Why not just finish the job and and sleeping uh, sickness by eradicating the tsetse fly from the entire African continent, you ask. This is the stated goal, goal rather, of the African Union's Pan-African Tsetse Fly uh, Trypanosomiasis Eradication Campaign. But the study published in December in Bioscience calls for re-examining that approach. The important ethical question remains, is Tsetse Fly elimination morally appropriate? Entomologist Jeremy Boyer and his co-authors wrote, the study lays out a protocol for properly considering a question that is less simple and more momentous than it seems at first glance, says Boyer, who spent seven years in Tsetse Fly control in Senegal and now works on pest control programs for the International Atomic Energy Agency. For one thing, tetra fly eradication is not about getting rid of a single species, but rather an entire taxonomic family called uh, Glossinidae with 31 species and subspecies across Africa. Conservationists commonly eradicate uh, eradicate introduced or invasive species from inhabitants where they do not belong. But tetra flies are native to Africa and the study notes and they have a complex biology and unique evolutionary history. This is the Science Inside. Recapping your top stories this hour. Biology at the center of last year's contentious gene-edited twins results may hold other benefits for brain injury. A new study by researchers at the University of California, Los Angeles, at the David Goffin School of Medicine suggests that using a drug to delete the same gene in people with stroke or traumatic brain injuries could help improve their recovery. And wildlife species harmful to humans are often targets of control and elimination programs. A new study questions the ethics behind the idea of killing off entire species of disease-causing pests. So imagine an app 
that can give you an entire building status in condition uh, its condition rather lifespan etc this is one of uh, the innovations that uh, we could potentially see in our future homes there are many other ideas like it but the big topic is, is what to expect for the future of housing in general and what are some of the key concerns we should be having um, from a scientific point of view earlier this month many similar scientific and technological innovations and ideas were showcased at the off the wall technology showcase to find out more about them or whether they are in fact even possible we spoke to peter de jega a csir project leader and senior researcher with the architectural and engineering building and tech sciences wing who tells us more uh, starting with the question of why housing is so important to look at particularly we're not doing terribly well with housing, particularly in South Africa. Um, you, you'll be aware that uh, we have sort of um, an, a, a, public se- a private sector takes care of a number of people, the free market, and people who can afford to purchase houses on the free market do that. Um, but we have a lot of people who aren't able to do that, and then they are essentially served by the public sector through various uh, mechanisms. You know, um, we commonly refer to an RDP house or a BNG house, which is a, a sort of standard um, uh, four-roomed um, freehold uh, uh, building, um, which is it's fantastic. It's dignifying for somebody who gets such a, a, a house or, or, or thing. But it's got a number of problems with it because with that model or would that be the only model? Um, one thing is, at the moment, we have in South Africa about 54 million people, 57 million people living here. But by 2050, we're going to have between 75 million and 80 million people. And those people are going to increasingly be concentrated in cities and towns. Um, so at the moment, we're developing a backlog of housing. Um, and the houses that we produce under those models, the RDP and BNG models, tend to be on the margins of the existing cities. That means that we're literally concretizing, marginalizing people on the edges. Um, It makes it very difficult to provide schools, health services, and jobs within the proximity of uh, very sprawled out urban areas. So one of the major ways in which um, science, technology, and innovation can help us is to relook at the models that we use um, for the provision of housing. Um, then also we can look at, I mean, we, we, we're um, working towards climate change. In 2050, again, we'll be looking at an, a minimum of two degrees. Probably um, your, your science, your climate model is at, at this will tell you that South Africa is actually probably looking at between three and six degrees more hot um, by the turn of the century than, than it is now. And, uh, you know, we, we really need to be designing energy-efficient uh, uh, built environments, and uh, we need to make uh, houses which are comfortable in built environments, habit, you know, human habitats which are uh, healthy and where we can be productive and happy. Um, so there, again, science, technology, and innovation has got a lot of uh, possibility for making... Um, you know, better quality 
uh, uh, homes through advanced materials uh, and, and so on. And then, you know, there, there are so many ways we can also look at how, how um, through the fourth industrial revolution, we, we change the nature of jobs, we use advanced manufacturing and so on, because the construction industry is one of the best employers of people in South Africa, but it's also one where people may not have the best, uh, you know, they may not be, always be the most decent, decent jobs. They're not always the ones we would love to have are construction jobs, you know? Yeah. So um, uh, how can science, technology, and innovation improve the way that we put houses together and construct them, yeah. um, or housing, not houses? So uh, there's another way uh, that we can use uh, these, you know, innovation um, for a better future. Tejega says the built environment is a conservative industry and tends to do things the same way, insisting on bricks and mortar to build houses. However, global risks such as climate change require governments to rethink how they how, how resources are managed. The proposed roadmap is aimed at using science and technology and innovations to respond to these risks, Dejega notes, with an initial focus in RDP houses. The project also aims to bridge the gap between rural and urban settlements in efforts to improve quality of life. Uh, Peters also gives us an idea of what uh, are some of the burning concerns in housing uh, that need to be looked at from a scientific point of view. Energy efficiency is sort of very topical at the moment because we're suffering a little bit with some interruptions to our power security. But water scarcity, you know, resource scarcity generally is something which we really need to keep our eyes open about. Um, remember, I, I said we're looking at a, a world of 75 million people in South Africa. Already, more than 30% of our water resources are stretched, badly stretched. Um, so we seriously need to look at how we manage our water resources going forward. Um, I think uh, transport, um, our, some very interesting innovations are likely to come in, in a disruptive form. If we let go of the of, of our um, uh, sort of desires, our, our um, preferences to have, uh, you know, cars, our own cars, maybe that's a silly luxury that we should really rethink. Um, uh, you know, we're talking about aspirations here, but um, you know, do we really all need a car? Um, and then, what is the implications for the city if we if we rethink um, mobility? So we all we all want we think we want to move around in the city. Mobility is good, but how can what can the form of that be? And you think about models like Uber or um, Airbnb, or we think about blockchain technology and so on, where you know and 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 the public transport system. In you know in in South Africa, we are we have um, kind of very old thing, old ways of thinking about mobility in the city. Yeah. You know, to, to, to drive a car, you must be 18 years old and sober. Um, whereas, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the city needs to be, mo you need mobility in the city, even if you're a child or, um, you know, old elderly or something like that. So, yeah. you know, we, we, the way that we apply technology marginalizes people at the moment. Yeah. Um, we're gonna we're gonna most likely end up with older people. At the moment, we have a lot of youth, but in the next 50 years, 
um, we are likely to go the way of other, um, you know, as we as we become a developed nation and so on, mm-hmm. we're likely to have older people in our communities rather than just young youth. Yeah. Um, and how do our cities accommodate those those people? Um, and then, what are you what are you leaving behind in in the in the in the rural areas? You know, these are these are our our uh, security for food. What is our food security like? If we have hollowing out um, rural areas, you know, what, what, how do we create livelihoods um, throughout the country that that have got good quality and that you know that are accessible to everybody? Yeah. Our our problem at the moment is the way that things are structured. Um, we have we have um, a lot of people who are excluded from the economy. So uh, one of the interesting innovations that we've come across during the, during looking at this um, in the showcase is is people who are really looking obviously at um, construction waste, which is is wonderful, um, and looking at the circular economy and how we can think of waste as a resource instead of as a problem. Uh, and other things around that are are to look at um, financial models for um, backyard shacks. So trying to improve the quality of the infrastructure of backyard shacks by innovative financing models. So, so you can get somebody to invest in your backyard shack, share in the rent for a couple of years, and then you own that upgraded piece of infrastructure which will bring additional value to your property. So that's an innovation which is just a small financial, it's a business innovation, not a, not a technology per se, but it's got the the possibility of really unlocking, um, you know, that that or helping people to access better quality. The definition phase is technically due to be finished between September and 31 March of 2020, according to her, and adds that the department is already in conversation with its partners to co-create the definition the implementation phase is from next March and over the next 10 years. We find out if whether these innovations are ready for the mainstream housing market or vice versa. Um, it's probably not yet ideal. I mean, I, th- uh, I guess there is uh, some investment in patches here and there, but um, I wouldn't say that it's a solid, mature kind of industry. It's not. It's not something where people feel... They're going to, you know, there's just generally a lack of of um, uh, confidence, I suppose, in the future. And and capital works is is a is a a vote for the future and a vote for certainty. And uh, you know, uh, in, you know, if you can, it, it's not seen as a quick one or an easy one. So it's probably not something that uh, um, people will invest in in mm-hmm. large numbers. Um, unless they, they start to show big uptake, you know, and uh, it, it's fascinating. People's habits are so interesting. Uh, you know, we uh, sort of, uh, I think it's about, I've got a slide, I can't remember, it's something like 4% of South Africans um, have got solar geezers, right? 4%. But 40% of us have got pay TV. Wow. So our priorities are a little bit weird. We aren't, we, no matter what we say about uh, our love for the environment and whatever, we, where we put our money is not, yeah, not, not necessarily in, in, in support of what we're saying. 
Um, and then uh, it's the same thing with uh, cell phone technology. I, nobody had to tell you to buy a smartphone. I assume you have one. Yeah. Uh, but nobody had to tell you that you had to buy that because it, this technology sold itself. It was such cool technology. Um, you wanted to buy, you wanted that. Yeah. And I think we need to get to that point with, uh, with our human awesome. settlements. We don't want to tell people that they are supposed to want to live in a flat. Yeah. in Hillbrow because it's actually from an environmental point of view and from a quality of life point of view, it's right. the be- in their best interest. No, you have to make that flat in Hillbrow so cool, people will go there and, you know, the, the, the market takes you there. That's, I think, uh, yeah. how we're going to unlock this a bit. And that means that when we're not just looking at the government departments, we actually really need to look at, at, at public and uh, private sector investment. And we do really have to work with with the public, not just um, with government. The event featured exhibitions and pitching sessions. Entrepreneurs, innovators and industry in the country used the opportunity to showcase new ideas for future houses and neighborhoods. Selected projects will be featured in a book, while all exhibited innovations will be documented in a register, which forms part of the broader road mapping initiative. So um, the whole the whole uh, roadmap project is to is to actually um, look at we're in the definition phase, which is sort of a two year phase, and we've moved the, the, this um, off the wall event was essentially one of the last of the first consultation round, um, and it was aimed specifically at looking at the innovators, at industry, etc. So we've widely consulted with. Um, with, the, with government uh, across the provinces and with academia, etc. Now um, uh, we want, actually want to sit and work on a 10-year plan, which will start, you know, in the next six to 12 months. And that 10-year plan is meant to get all of the role players who, who can, you know, work on this and improve it to work together. Because uh, at the moment, what we find is, is you'll get one guy doing a part. You know, you'll get uh, Bongo working on something at this, and once she graduates, her project gets shelved, and then she moves on with her life. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of beautiful work that's being done in the in the universities uh, that is being uh, piloted. Yeah. You know, very yeah. across the country, but there's not always ways of scaling that up. So we we that's what the roadmap. The purpose of the roadmap project is to do is to actually set a program for uh, you know at least getting some of the stuff to 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 grow and to succeed um, and to get that pipeline going. So the the um, the, the off the wall thing technology showcase. Look at what it it's, uh, it, it were it, the people who who um, participated got ex- got really good media exposure. They got some mentorship because the 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 there was, there was, for example, a pitching session on the Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, a number of people had never pitched their technology before, so they were learning through that program. Yeah. Um, there were a number of public lectures on procurement of innovative building technologies because it's not straightforward. It's not as easy to procure a building with um, a, a different sort of a brick uh, substance than in a brick, uh, you know, because the, the one is quite easy to do and the other one's a little bit more difficult. And, how to do a certification process for a non-standard building supply. So there were a lot of master classes that were presented. Um, so that was, that was very attractive to, to, um, to consultants and implementing 
uh, people over there uh, uh, in the sector. And then, um, uh, you know, one of the guys actually got an, an order for six thousand, uh, five thousand units um, for his for his uh, uh, product. So um, uh, they did. I think it was worthwhile. It, it's not just yeah. about. Um, um, just hearing what's happening. So that we understand the constraints of, of the suppliers for the roadmap. That's very important. That was our objective. Mm. But it was worthwhile, I think, for the, for the participants as well. Wow. The road mapping project, there is a project website. I, I'm sure you may, I hope, I assume you may have come across it, mm-hmm. um, which is www.sti4shs.co.za. Um, and uh, it, we're essentially calling that the National Forum. So we, as we're developing this roadmap, we're engaging with people who are registered there. We're you know, distributing our documents and drafts there. So if anybody wants to participate, wants to get their voice heard, wants to get part of those drafts and what have you, I encourage them then to actually register online. Um, and then uh, they can, they can, you know, even if we can't solve their particular problem, at least we can try and make a better future. According to the science, uh, the science and technology and innovation for sustainable human settlements website, science and technology and innovation has a potential to contribute to the achievement of the National Development Plan, Sustainable Development Goals, Integrated Urban Development Framework, and the new urban agenda in South African human settlement sector. The potential potential of STI, however, is limited by lack of decision support, investment, and prevalent conser- conservatism um, in the sector which frustrates uptake of promising technology. CSIR is encouraging people to participate in these types of events as it tries to get all the emerging ideas to see some daylight and hopes to continue these conversations. I am Masibulele Luniga with the Science Inside News. Stay curious. Stay informed. Stay on the Science Inside. Welcome back to the Science Inside and now we step right into it, our favorite part in the show. It's time for Unscience. We look at the strangest side of research and where um, they find all of these ideas and we look at the weird, the wonderful side of, uh, of, of the sciences and what scientists actually spend their time and a lot of their money and efforts on. And uh, yes... Masibulele, you have the unscience story for us this evening. Yes. Unusual, unlikely, unscience. Do you remember algebra in school? Math was as easy as 2 plus 2 equals 4. Then they went and they just had to make things complicated by adding letters of the alphabet to it. Man, you're telling me I could tell you a thing or two about the complexities that come with solving for X. It makes me only wonder, why do we even bother? (laughs) I see you have jokes, hey? Well... Complex mathematical calculations are an everyday thing for some animals in the animal kingdom. A new research study, as published by the Hebrew University of Jerusalem by Dr. Alon Zaslava and his team, revealed that some animals perform mathematical calculations to find their next meal. What? That is 
totally absurd. I mean, well, I've never had to use algebra or trigonometry to find my house keys or find the matching partner to a long lost sock. But imagine the possibilities if only humans could apply the same strategies to finding food. I mean, imagine the possibilities of what this would mean actually for thousands of people living in the streets and those who go to bed on a hungry stomach daily. I can already see someone making a business out of this because I would fail every time and I would have to pay somebody every time uh, I I solved um, (laughs) for eggs uh, wrongly, you know. But I would just basically die, you know, from hunger. (laughs) Yeah, that, that would really be something else. Maybe it would actually force us to improve our math. Perhaps, but I'm pretty sure that would be a vi- there would be a very little population left. I mean, this would be some pretty intense work from the Department of Education and all of that. And imagine uh, what the turnaround strategy would have to be for the education system with all the math literacy happening in schools right now. But tell me more about this research. Yeah, no, this was this study was performed on C. elegans, uh, pronounced as C. elegans uh, worms, and it was discovered that these worms employ a sniffing method to locate their food. Okay, but how does the mathematical part fit into this e- equation? <laughs> Uh, math equation, uh, Bridget, stop uh, with the puns and please be serious for just a minute. Apparently, it is like the hot or cool game. Uh, you're in a dark house and a chocolate cake has been taken out of, this, of the oven. So obviously, to find the cake, you would probably have to sniff your way in the direction of the cake, uh, say, of the cake scent, right? Right. But then what happens next? Does it calculate its path, its path using algebraic geometry typology next? <laughs> yes, kind of. So there's a neural cell in their brains that is activated, which acts like a function called the wave's uh, recalculating root function. This cell uh, then senses uh, derivatives, meaning it calculates the odor intensity. Um, it then classifies it according to positive, getting hotter, getting colder, or negative. If by any chance it calculates that it is negative, it means that it is moving further away from the cake and it would then uh, have to recalculate its route. Should it calculate a positive, then it would uh, continue on the path. All right, that is very enlightening, I must say. But I wish I could do similar things with my brain to solve such problems, you know? Yes, but that's not all. The cell continues to calculate more data on the smell to detect whether the current odor intensity is getting stronger or weaker. Then it puts together a chart with the new uh, with new differential uh, measures as back uh, as backup. Brother, uh, humans, however, do not use this system as they are more complex compared to this worm. This sounds like one of those mathematical problems that require you to solve for two values of x. It seems like these worms are not as simple as we thought that they are. Yep. Dr. Zaslivar concluded uh, that these worms could teach us an important lesson. He says that when looking at solving a math problem, a quick solution is attractive. However, we need a backup, we need a backup, a system to ensure uh, that we are moving in the right direction. Wiggle, wiggle, wiggle.
Great, and that was unusual, unlikely, unscience. Well, next up, we have a story. We are looking at a green company that is changing the face of the water heating industry while meeting the energy efficiency needs. But hang tight, we return after the break. Unusual, unlikely, unscience. This is the Science Inside. Once more, a very warm welcome to you to the Science Inside. And if you're only tuning in now, where have you been? You've missed the majority of the show, but you're just in time for my story. And earlier on, we engaged on a topic that concerns all of us, really, the issue of housing settlements and on how science technology and innovation can be used to improve all aspects of our living spaces. And with that being said, I interviewed Sandy Swatkai, the founder and managing director of AET Africa. It pays special attention to energy conservation, reusing and developing an alternative water heating solutions for Africa's special ecological and socio-economic needs. And uh, this factory is in Dimbaza in King Williamstown in the Eastern Cape. And it was launched in 2012 where it received money around uh, or amounting to about 7 million rands. And um, this is Sandy Satkai adding more to uh, what their company does. Energy Africa, we are innovators and manufacturers of energy efficiency projects. The two leading innovations that support in the energy efficiency will be a support export and heat rider. What we focus on as a company in terms of energy efficiency is water heating space by providing a profit solution in terms of how to reduce electricity consumption of your existing user. But at the same time, also come up with innovations that can improve the energy efficiency of users going forward, which is even new users that are going to come into the market. Um, we've got our own manufacturing plant at this stage, product manufacturing plant for hotspot. We are in the process of doing that even for hydrator. The company's main objective is to produce high-quality, innovative and energy-efficient project uh, products rather which are clean while meeting the needs of urban urban informal communities that are financially strapped and are currently overwhelmed by hefty electricity bills i used to wake up every morning at half past four to switch my keys are on so that i can have access to hot water at half past six because i couldn't afford to keep my keys are on the whole day and the situation at my home is that it was me and my daughter and my helper. Then I will wake up and then we take a shower with my daughter in the morning and the helper will take a shower perhaps in the afternoon. So we're switching on and off and the kids are sometimes forgetting to switch it on because I don't have a timer. That's what led me to come up with a hotspot innovation concept. It is an impactful innovation. It is a long funnel resembling plastic sleeve made with special liquid plastic called Plastisol. The high quality of the plastic ensures longevity under intense hot temp- temperatures over lengthy periods in the water. In terms of the design, I focus more on coming up with the concept. And then my technical partner, Michael Roma, looked into how we can configure the hotspot device in terms of working on the current user configuration. As a concept, what it aims to do is to improve 
your energy efficiency of your existing users and then also allows you as a customer to hit the volume of hot water you need when you need it. Because the current user design is that even if you need 50 liters, the way the user is designed is that every day you're hitting 150 liters or 200 liters of hot water, which most of the time, if it's only two people in the house, you don't normally finish that hot water. So you pay for excess water, which you don't normally finish when you switch your user on and off. But at the same time, even if you keep your user on, because of repeated reheating and heat losses, your user continues to consume electricity in the background. So that's when, then, in terms of the specification for the design of the hot water, besides the switching on and off, still have access to that water, but it also needs to have a, a unique value proposition in such a way that you can operate with either like a kettle to heat the volume of hot water you need whenever you need it. It is able to heat up to 50 litres of water in just 30 minutes, slashing the proportional time it would take for you to access your hot water by one and a half hours and this is in comparison to the amount of water that the conventional geyser is able to heat in the tank. For example, if you've got 150 litre 3 kilowatt element geyser, they are categorized in terms of your insulation and heat losses. So in ordinary geyser, 2 kilowatt element, it takes you on average one and a half hour to two hours for you to get hot water when you switch that user off. And then let's say you start at room temperature of 21 degrees Celsius. So what happens is, as soon as you switch that user on, your hot water will start to rise until a stage where that water will be diluted and becomes lukewarm, which is why it takes you longer to get that hot water. But in the case of the hot spot, when you report it together with hot spot, as soon as that hot water is heated by the element at the bottom of your geyser, that hot water is pushed through the hot spot to rise so that it is closer to the outlet. And then your cold water then is constantly sucked in to be at the bottom of the geyser. The thermosiphon technology which gives the hot spot its unique value proposition mimics diodide heat pipes. It disables heat from being transferred in the reverse direction from the radiator heater pipes in uh, to the cold end of the sterling converter, thus pushing the heated water closer to the water supply outlet for consumption. The thermosiphon length can be limitless. Thus, it carries more power than a heat pipe, even with the same diameter. The marvel behind this technology, really, is that it is assisted by gravity, which in turn helps to return the condensate, which is why it only operates when it is tilted. The hot spot diffuses what you call thermocycling, whereby different densities in your hot water and your cold water. The hot spot works as a funnel to suck in your cold water to be positioned at the bottom because it's dense. And then through the design of the hot spot, it flows in that water, so it pushes your hot water to rise because it's lighter in density. Meaning that your cold water and hot water, they don't mix and then it creates the stratification or the layers of hot water on the top and then your cold water at the bottom. And then it's also designed it in such a way that you can retrofit on any type of geyser where you've got a spiral element, a horizontal and a vertical geyser. And our test, when we did the proof of concept, showed that Within 30 minutes, you can have access to 50 liters, 50 degrees of hot water. And then if you don't switch your geyser on and off on monthly basis, you can save up to 27% of your energy consumption. That is reheating the same water in your in your tank, 150 liters, 3 kilowatt element without switching your geyser on and off.
so you still saving about 27% of your energy. Being in the water heating sector, the company is also looking at adding another product that will assist people in the informal settlement to have low pressure ge- who have low pressure geysers, which are usually slow and not self-regulatory. And this inf- inv- innovation is currently only in its conceptual phase. Currently, every 20 minutes, you can produce about 30 units of hot spot. And then on monthly basis, you can push up to 10,000 units. That's our production capacity from our factory. But of course, because now we're still moving the market, so we don't have enough in volume. We haven't produced the 10,000 units as of yet. But our plan is for the capacity of producing 10,000 units on a monthly basis. Stay curious. Stay informed. Stay on the science inside. Yes, this is indeed the science inside, but we have come to the end of our show. Thanks a lot to all of our guests who are featured on the show, including Sandy Swatlai, Peter Dejega, and our team behind the scenes uh, production by Glory Mabuza, Masibulele Lunika, and none other uh, than um, our tech producer, Kutwano Serame. Our podcast is on journalism.co.za slash science and social media facebook as the science inside tweet us at vow fm as well and the science inside is produced by the vids radio academy it is funded in part by the south african department of science and technology and that is all from for, from our desk tonight catch you up uh, catch up with you next week um same time on monday the science inside monday from 6 to 7 p.m on The Science Inside Podcast.